Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Well, good morning and welcome to Easter Sunday at Rosemont. He is risen. Amen? He's risen. We serve a risen Savior. I want to just for a second take a moment and thank our worship team. Uh, We've got a fantastic group of people up here. And I want you to understand that these people on stage, people back behind the scenes, people running cameras, lights, sound, all those things, most of their alarms went off in the fours this morning, okay? So you can be thankful that they're here bright and early. Uh, They didn't partake of the Lord's Supper with us when we did because we had just this beautiful moment where we did the Lord's Supper together as a worship team out in the lobby as the sun was coming up this morning. Man, it was so cool, so beautiful, such such a neat moment for us to share. I just love these people. I want you to know that. I love them dearly, and they mean so much to me personally, and they mean so much to our church. And I just want you to know that they work hard for you and work hard to serve the Lord. Their heart is worship. It's not really about the music. It's not about the lights. It doesn't really matter. And their heart is worship, and they want to bring you to the foot of the cross every Sunday. They do a great job uh, allowing us to do that. So we're glad you're with us. We're glad that you're celebrating. I don't know if you remember last year. It seems like an eternity ago, but we celebrated Easter in our pajamas at home. You remember that? Very different. I preached here to an almost empty group. My wife was here and my children and a couple of technical people, but by and large, it was empty. And so I want you to know, and I think you probably feel the same way personally, I don't take this for granted. I don't take this for granted. I think we had this moment where we uh, had a weird sort of strange deal in our country and we're kind of coming out of that now, but I think as believers, we need to be mindful of the significance of worshiping in person. And so if you're at home right now, uh, we're glad you're watching with us, but we want to invite you back, man. We got a lot of seats. Things are about to open up for us. We're praying and thinking very soon about what that's going to look like. You'll know more in the next couple of weeks, but we're excited you're with us today and we're excited for you to hear again the story of the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to be very transparent with you. Easter is probably the hardest Sunday for me to preach. Here's why it's so difficult, because we all know the story. You've heard the story a thousand times. You've heard it backwards and forwards. You know about the angels and the stone being rolled away and the Roman soldiers. And you know about how Jesus came out. And so the struggle sometimes for pastors is to find some little nuanced part of the story, some little nugget you may have never heard before and preach this entire sermon around something so you can walk away going, wow, I've never seen that before. What I hope you see instead this morning is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's foundational for your life because that's what really matters. Right, that's what really matters. And so I want to kind of put you in context of Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Jesus at this point in the gospel of Matthew has been arrested. He's been crucified, put into a tomb. And I always think it's good for us when we study scripture to put ourselves in the place of those we're reading about. And so you can just imagine for a few moments the followers of Jesus Christ. Right, the men and women who've given their lives the last several years to follow him, to trust him, to listen to him, they are in this very moment scared to death. Right? Dread has filled their hearts. 
Uh, they're sad. They're in shock. They're confused because their friend, their leader, their savior was gone. And for them in this very moment, all hope was lost. And so I want to speak to you just for a second, whether you're here or in an overflow service or watching from home, you may be coming in this morning and a lot of your hope is lost as well. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe something's just happened. Maybe you're in the midst of a, of, a, of a turmoil with your family or work or whatever the case may be. Let me just encourage you, there's always hope in Christ. There's always hope in his resurrection. So I, I pray this morning as we study through, read through this text, you'll be encouraged, you'll be challenged, you'll find great joy and great hope. So Matthew chapter 28, beginning now in verse one. Now after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Right very early in the morning they go. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I want to kind of answer three questions this morning. As we walk through this text again, try to better understand what the Lord's teaching us, I want to answer these simple questions. Why does the resurrection matter? Why was it important in the first century? Why is it still important today? And so the truth that I want you to see this morning is found in this text, right? Whenever we preach, whenever we teach, whenever we study God's word, our desire is to pull truth out, not put truth in, right? So we're going to see what the Bible teaches us. We're going to look at truth this morning. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, the resurrection proves that Jesus actually died and rose again. The resurrection proves that Jesus actually died and rose again. Now, I know this might sound obvious. I know this might sound like a no-brainer, but I want to start here because in case you don't already know this, there is a world that disagrees with this statement. There's a world that disagrees with it. Now, I had our 930 service do this, and I'm just curious. If you are high school, college, or sometime in the early to mid-20s, raise your hand for me, please. Just raise your hand. College, high school, mid-20s, raise them high. Seriously, keep them up. Look at that. That's a lot of folks. Thank you. There were about that many high school, college kids in our 930 service. Parents, you need to understand these kids, and I know they're not really kids, but I'm a little bit older and they seem like kids to me. If you're 30, you seem like a kid to me now, right? Amen. You understand how that goes? The older you get. If you're younger like this, parents, you need to understand these people are being bombarded in our world with lies. Bombarded. But it's not a passive-aggressive. It's an aggressive 
an aggressive fight against Christianity. My daughter, who is a junior in college now, came home this weekend for Easter. We had a great conversation over the weekend about faith and about the things of the Lord and specifically about building our foundation on Christ. Because if your foundation is not built on Christ, you're going to waver. You're going to be confused. You're going to see all the things of the world and social media. It's going to sound good to you, and you're going to just start following it, never understanding you're being led astray from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me just say this. I'm going to spend a few minutes kind of answering some skeptics' questions, right? A little bit of apologetics just for a few minutes, just so you can kind of see it and understand it. Before I do that, I want you to understand something. This is the Word of God. I believe it's 100% accurate without error, I believe it's foundational for our our lives. We should build our lives and our family lives and our thoughts upon it, right? So for me, right, I've made the decision that I'm going to follow the Word of God, period. I believe it. It's real to me. I'm going to base my life upon it. But I also understand there are people in our world that don't believe the Word of God. And so the Bible teaches that Jesus died came back to life. And as far as I'm concerned, if the Bible teaches it, it's real. But I know that there are people out there that may not believe the Bible. So we're going to spend just a few minutes looking outside of what the Bible teaches with the idea of building our faith, understanding what the world may say and how the world may kind of come at us and how we can respond. And I'll say this, I've said it to to college students for the last several years. When you're lied to by a professor or somebody kind of out in the world that questions your faith, that questions Christianity, that makes fun of your beliefs and asks you questions you might not know the answers to, there are answers to those questions. There are well-thought-out, intelligent, real answers to those questions. And if you ever encounter something you don't know about or unfamiliar, call me. Happy to talk to you about it. I had a great conversation with a lady this week. She sent me a text. She said, listen, I'm working with a guy who doesn't believe in the things of the Lord. I want to have a conversation with him. I'm not quite sure what to say. So I sent her several things, kind of bullet points, that she can talk through and help this person understand the truth of who Jesus is. And so there are answers. I'm happy to give them to you if you ask. Well, let's put a few questions up on the screen, thinking about what the skeptic would say, thinking about how the world kind of looks at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the first question the world answers. Did Jesus really die on the cross. Are there people that say, listen, I'm not even sure Jesus lived. I'm not even sure outside of the Bible you can make a case that Jesus was an actual real person. I certainly don't think he actually died on the cross. And so what they would say is, listen, even if he was real, I think it was kind of a swooning, the swoon theory is what it's called. Right, Jesus goes up on the cross, he's crucified, he loses a lot of blood, he goes into some sort of a comatose state, he passes out, they think he's dead, they pull him down, put him in the tomb, he lays there a couple days, he's refreshed in the cool and the dark, he gains a little strength, he wakes up from being unconscious, staggers out of the tomb, resurrected. They would say, listen, he never really died. Now I want you to see some things outside of Scripture, because the Bible clearly talks about the resurrection of Christ, clearly. But there are extra biblical historical accounts that will build your faith. I've got one of them on the screen. There's a quote. Tactus is a Roman senator. He's a historian. Like, by the way, you should go Google all this. If you don't believe me, spend some time Googling it. Go read this stuff yourself. There are Roman accounts of Jesus, of the crucifixion, of the resurrection. Here's what this Roman senator says. Christus, that's Jesus, obviously, 
from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Right? Extreme penalty is his word for crucifixion and death. Now, we say extreme penalty because what the Romans did back then, the ultimate form of punishment, the ultimate form of execution was a crucifixion. Right? We know the crucifixion story. We've seen it. We understand it. We studied it. So this Roman senator helps us understand, listen, Jesus was nailed to a cross. He received the extreme penalty, which for the Romans always meant death. Now, I don't often use Wikipedia from the pulpit, right? You know Wikipedia? Wikipedia is not always uh, a Christian supporter, so I don't typically use Wikipedia. But Wikipedia has a quote about this Roman senator. This is what it says. The scholarly consensus is that Tacitus' reference to the execution of Jesus by Pontius Pilate is both authentic and of historical value as an independent Roman source. So just kind of thinking, let's be honest, right? We've got biblical accounts, eyewitness accounts. We've got Roman accounts, and this is just one of many, by the way. Do some research, okay? Just spend some time researching. This is one of many accounts. Let's take it a step farther. Let's, understood, let's understand that Jesus was crucified by Roman guards. Now listen, I don't want to be graphic about this, but you need to kind of get this point that the Roman guards knew what they were doing when it comes to execution. They were experts. We'll kind of leave it at that. There's no possible way for you to get up on that cross and then take you down without being dead. Why? Because these soldiers did this countless, probably thousands of other times. They were precise, okay? They knew exactly what they were doing. So when you begin to take the biblical evidence, the extra biblical evidence, Roman historians, logic of what's going on with these Romans and the guards and all that they did and how they would have accomplished their purposes in executing Christ, when you begin to put those things together, if you're intellectually honest, and by the way, a lot of people aren't. A lot of the scholars and the scoffers and the people that say they know better than you that don't believe the Bible aren't intellectually honest. But if you're going to be honest and you start putting that together with all the evidence we see and the extra biblical stuff, the Roman historians, the idea of logic and reason, you come to this point. Now watch. You come to this point of saying, listen, we at least need to say that Jesus lived and died. Let's at least acknowledge that. Let's at least say he lived. We've seen the Roman account. We know he was crucified. At least let's say that he lived and died. Let's at least get to that point, right? So the next question, go to the next question that people ask. If he really died, then were the disciples lying about the resurrection? Did they steal the body? So the atheist would say, listen, I'll give you, uh, or the agnostic maybe, I'll give you that Jesus lived and died, but I don't really believe he came back from the dead. That's silly, right? Nobody actually comes back from the dead. I don't see any evidence to prove that. Why do you believe Jesus came back from the dead? Obviously, the disciples stole the body. Well, let's think through that just for a few minutes, okay? Let's, let's apply some reason and some logic to this as well. Right? You have to understand that these Romans, the last thing they wanted was Jesus come back from the dead. They didn't want an in- insurrection, right? They wanted peace and calm. They wanted everybody to just kind of chill out. Do they still, do you still say chill out? Is that a thing? Can I even say that? Is that circa 1990? 
They wanted everybody to relax, whatever, right? They didn't want Jesus to come back. So they would have done everything in their power to keep him in that tomb. So what did they do? They rolled a massive stone in front of it. They put the seal of the Roman emperor on it, which meant death if you removed it. They put Roman guards in charge of it. And they said to those guards, listen, if anybody tries to take Jesus' body, you kill them. And if you fall down in your duty, Roman guard, you're going to be executed. That's the punishment. So you've got, now just think through this with me just for a second. Let's apply some logic here. you got these trained Roman soldiers, these trained Roman guards, these people that had fought in wars. They understood how to use a sword and a shield and a spear versus fishermen, tax collectors that followed Jesus around for three years. Now, if those two groups got into an armed conflict, who you think's winning? Not Peter. Peter was a good guy, but he didn't know how to wield a sword. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cuts off the guy's ear, right? He's trying to cut off his head, and he just nicks his ear. So the idea that these disciples are going to sneak up on these Roman guards, overpower them, and defeat them in armed conflict is silly. That make any sense. You can't apply logic and get to that conclusion. Let's take it a step farther. Church history tells us that the disciples, after the resurrection of Christ, right, they go from a scared group of people hiding in an upper room, fearful of their life, to the most glorious and, and powerful evangelistic team, really, in the history of the world. And church history tells us that they traveled all over the known world. They go from afraid, scared to death, to sharing their faith with anybody that would listen all over the world. Now listen, here's the interesting thing. History tells us that every one of the followers of Christ, every one of his 12 disciples, eventually lost their life, were executed because of their faith and their belief. So they said, listen, Jesus rose from the dead. They eventually were executed for that belief. Now listen, I don't know about you. Again, I'm putting myself in their place just for a minute. But if I was lying about Jesus and I get all the way to the point somebody's about to execute me, I'd probably be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I made it up. All right, I, I lied. Made the whole, just let me go. I made the whole thing up. We took his body, hid it out in the woods. It's all a farce. Instead, what you see is to a man, every one of these disciples were executed for their faith. Why would you die for a lie? It's a fair question. You have to ask and answer that question. So you begin to see things. Maybe you're looking at biblical accounts, extra biblical accounts. You begin to look at logic and reason and applying some history to this equation. You get to this point of saying, look, Jesus lived clearly. He died. We can make a case for that. Outside of the Bible, we can make that case. We can make the case that he came back from the dead when you begin to apply the truth of Scripture, some logic and some reason in church history. When you get to add those things up, you come to this point of saying, listen, Jesus lived and he died and he rose from the grave. Well, the third question is, what if the disciples just hallucinated? Well, they just dreamed it up, right? Well, there are certainly accounts of individual people hallucinating, but large groups 10, 12, 15, 100, 200, 500 people hallucinating, seeing the same thing, you begin to wonder, is that really what's going on or did they actually see Christ alive? See, I believe, I believe, and by the way, we're just skimming the surface here, right? Books have been written about this. I believe when you put all these things together, all the evidence points to the fact that not only did he live, not only did he die, but he rose from the grave. Right, the resurrection proves that Jesus really did live, he really did die, and he really did come back to life. Now let's look at the text again. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. 
But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Here's the second truth I want you to see this morning, right? The resurrection shows that Jesus lived, shows that Jesus died, shows that Jesus came back to life. Truth number two, the resurrection demonstrates the power of God. The resurrection demonstrates the power of God. Now, there are all sorts of scriptures that speak of the resurrection, right? You find it all through the gospels, all four gospels speak of the resurrection. You find it in numerous other places in the New Testament. I'm going to give you just a few verses in the New Testament, and there's a theme I want you to listen for. There's a theme I want you to hear. Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter speaking. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, that's Barabbas, to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, listen, whom God raised from the dead. Acts chapter 10 beginning in 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, speaking of Jesus, having been buried with him, that's Jesus, in baptism, in which you were also raised with Jesus through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, right? We're seeing that the Lord God the Father raises Christ from the dead through this power, Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, listen, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What we see from Scripture clearly is that God demonstrates power when he raised Christ from the dead. Now listen, let's translate that to 2,000 years later. So what? God raised Jesus from the dead. That's great for Jesus, great for the followers. What does that mean to me now? Here's what you need to understand. If God had the power to raise Christ from the dead, don't you think he's got power to work in your life right now? Same God, same spirit. Right? If he worked in the life of Christ, I promise you, he can work in your life now. So kind of three sub-points under this main idea. I'm going to put them on the screen about the power that we see in our lives. First, we can find a living hope in knowing that God is powerful enough to work in our lives. Right? A lot of people come to church without hope. So sometimes church is the last resort. Right? They've, they've gone through struggles or difficulties or they're in, the, they're in the middle of something right now and they've kind of lost hope. You, you need to understand there is always hope in Christ. Peter speaks about this. In fact, he says in, in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. See, when you, you translate that to your life and you begin to see the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead, you understand that you also can find hope in, in financial crisis, in job loss, in, in sickness, and in business failure, in marital problems, in, in death. There is always hope in Christ. We can live with a hope in Christ because of the power of God working through us. Secondly, we have the power to accomplish things we could not accomplish on our own. 
And it's always amazing to me when I, when I talk to people about the calling of, of Christ in their life and what the Lord would have them to do. And usually in that conversation, fear comes up. Like, I'm afraid to do this, or I'm afraid I won't know what to say, or I'm afraid my friend's going to make fun of me, or I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I get it. I get it. Totally understand that. But what we begin to understand when we study the Scripture and we see what the Lord has done and what he's going to do, we understand that we're not ever going to accomplish anything in our own power. We're only going to accomplish things through the power of Christ working in our lives. So if you think you have the power, you have the power to lead anybody to Christ, you're mistaken. It's only when the Spirit works through you and you're obedient does the power of the Lord work to save people, right? And so you can relax. It's not really about you. It's not about your eloquence or your ability to speak or your knowledge of the Scripture or all the questions you might be able to answer. It's not really about that. It's about trusting Christ and allowing the Spirit to work in your life to give you power to accomplish things you couldn't accomplish on your own. And then third, we have the power to experience life in Christ. Jesus said to her, this is John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Right? We see the resurrection demonstrate power. We see through scripture that that power is evident in the lives of believers all through the centuries. And even today, God can use you and give you the power you need to accomplish the things he calls you to accomplish. Now, let's kind of wind this thing down here. Let's kind of finish this up. Look at verse 5 again. Matthew 28. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he's going before you in Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Truth number three, the resurrection. By the way, this might be the most important part. The resurrection offers forgiveness. The resurrection offers forgiveness. I love reading the accounts of the crucifixion in the four gospels because if you read the other accounts in the gospels, uh, Mark and Luke and John, you see that Peter is real prominent. And, and Peter is a guy that we like because he's, he's kind of uh, gruff and he, he wants to be a leader, but he sticks his foot in his mouth oftentimes, right? And he says the things that he regrets and wishes he hadn't said them. But the thing that we love about Peter and the thing we understand about Peter is for all of his faults, Peter loves Christ and he's fiercely loyal to him, right? The problem is Peter promises things that he can't fulfill. And so we know the story when Jesus is arrested, right? Jesus has been talking to his disciples and he's explained to them that he's going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, turned over the chief priests and crucified. And Peter several times during the ministry of Christ has said to Jesus, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not on my watch, Jesus. Not going to let that happen. Right over my dead body, Peter would say. And what we see with Peter is he's got a lot of passion, a lot of heart. He's got a lot of strong words and sometimes weak actions because we read in the book of Mark and in other gospels that when push came to shove, Peter denies Jesus three times. Three times he's asked, three times he denied. So there's this beautiful picture of, of reconciliation. I want you to see this. 
right? Jesus comes back to life. He goes north to the Sea of Galilee. He meets his followers there. He's eaten breakfast with them. John chapter 21, pull that up if you would, verse 15 and following. I want you to listen to what happens. When they had finished breakfast together, this is Jesus and his followers, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And and Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And, And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, right? There's this beautiful picture of sin and failure and denial and then this beautiful picture of of reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness. And so if you don't hear anything else this morning, if you haven't heard anything else, I want you to understand maybe the most beautiful part of this story, the most beautiful part of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ is that he still offers forgiveness today. Still. Still available to you. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so maybe there's somebody here this morning, whether live or in overflow or at home, that's never given their heart and life to Christ. Maybe you've played the game. Maybe you've been to church a bunch. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've kind of walked the walk at times and talked the talk, but you've never actually given your heart and life to Christ. I want you to know here in just a few minutes, our praise team is going to come out. They're going to sing. They're going to lead us as we kind of finish up this service. At the end of the service, I'm going to be available right down front. If you have questions about Christ, don't let this moment pass. If you have questions about salvation, about eternity, about what it means to give your heart and mind to Christ, come down front. Let me talk to you Let me pray with you. Jesus is a beautiful picture and a beautiful reminder of forgiveness, a beautiful reminder of reconciliation. And regardless of your sin, regardless of your failure, there's always hope in Christ.